Welcome to The Lisa Show. When it comes to food safety, I mean, we all know the basics. You got to wash your hands. You especially Do after we all know the basics when yeah, we say after it's after handling raw meat, especially. Okay, I don't. I you know. Do you not know that? No, no, no. Yes, I know that. Do. I know that everyone knows that they should do it, but the proper care of meat in order to stay safe, I, I one thousand percent disagree with you that everyone knows how they should really be taken. Okay, care of well, it. we're gonna get into that. What about rinsing your produce? Nope. Do you know how to do that? D- with water. Okay. And uh, <laughs> this one I know you don't do. Not eating raw cookie dough. Okay. Okay. What kind hey, of listen. World? There, this is a cookie show. No judgment. How good are you when it comes to the lesser known food precautions? How often do we need to be switching out our sponges? And what's harmful about putting hot food in the fridge? You do you might, know these questions? You might break your uh, your, your Pyrex I've if your fridge is too cold. I've shattered it. Yeah, yeah. Where I was I'm, washing the I was being very shelf. helpful, and I wanted to make sure that I put it into the fridge. and then. Did you do it too? Oh, yeah. It was a lasagna, though. Oh, a hot lasagna yeah. in a cold oh, fridge? Yeah. Yeah. Rookie it's mistake. Rookie, rookie mistake. mistake. We need to be a little extra careful about keeping our bodies safe from foodborne illnesses. So joining us on the show this morning is Natalie Seymour, a food safety extension associate, here to discuss how to separate delicious food from dangerous germs. Welcome, Natalie. Thanks for having me. Okay, so now that people are cooking for themselves and eating at home, probably more than they did before, what are some uh-huh. top tips for handling food safely? Yeah, no, it's a common question, one that people have all of a sudden been like, wait, I don't actually know what I'm doing, <laughs> which is okay. I mean, it's yeah. a good time for everyone to learn. But I mean, what you already mentioned, washing your hands, they, you think that everyone knows how to do that, but it's important to do before you start handling food, after you've handled raw food, as you're cooking, um, keeping your surfaces clean. Um, so not just wiping down with that same dish rag that you've been using for like two weeks. Um, but spraying down with like a disinfectant and making sure that you're cleaning surfaces after you've handled stuff, especially, you know, raw animal products, um, making sure you're cooking to the right temperature. You can't really just know by looking at food, whether or not it's cooked to a temperature that's going to kill off any sort of bacteria, virus, parasite, something that's in there that might make you sick. Um, cooling your food properly, not leaving it out overnight and then eating it again for breakfast, um, but pizza's you know, making... okay. But pizza's okay with that, right, Natalie? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> pizza's relatively low risk. Hey, like leaving oh. it out overnight, yeah, that's one of those like kind of it's complicated. It depends kind of things. But like bread, we leave bread out overnight, right? Right. And tomato sauce has a lot of acid in it. Right. Probably not going to grow anything. And, that, oh. and it's cheese. probably not real cheese, so you're safe <laughs> there, right? <laughs> well, depending on where you're going. Yeah. yeah. Thank um, you. But like, if you're getting you know, some of the more common cheeses, if it's not like a fresh mozzarella and it's a cured mozzarella and then it's baked, like it's kind of dehydrated a little bit. So it's relatively low risk. And then depending on your toppings, like if you have my favorite pizza has chicken on it, um, I wouldn't leave that out, but like normal pepperoni, something like that, like pepperoni, you buy that on the shelf in the store anyway. Now, do I advocate it for it? Is it like the best way to keep it for a really long time? Not really, but it, the, the risk is relatively low if you leave it out overnight and eat it the next day. So that's an exception. Yeah. You caught me. <laughs> no, I, that, that's good to know, though. I am learning yeah. so much this morning. So what are your biz- biggest <laughs> tips for dealing with raw meat in the kitchen? Because I feel like that is one of our biggest yeah. risks. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a raw animal product for sure. It's not treated um, like we call it in, in food safety. It's like a, a kill step or a lethality step. So where when there's something that we know probably has bacteria, virus, parasite, something that'll make you sick, and then it's treated to kill that off. And so raw meat, like separating it out, making sure when you bring it home from the grocery store, it's not like on the top shelf that can drip all over your other food. Um, so all that meat juice can have bacteria in it. So um, what I normally do is either put it in another grocery bag or like put it in a baking dish to make sure if the package leaked, it didn't get any place else. And I can oh, throw great. that baking Another dish layer. in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and even if you weren't just worried about the food safety aspects, you know, meat juice in the fridge, will start smelling kind of bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so keeping it separated when you're shopping and when you're, um, when you bring it home um, and then handling it really carefully. So I will often like take 
part of the wrapping off and then handle some of it in the container, like the, the package it comes in, throw away all that packaging. Um, I either cut the meat last or if I'm like going to cut it before I fix it and then, or I use a separate cutting board, separate knife, all that stuff gets put in the dishwasher or cleaned and sanitized in my sink. Um, making sure I wash my hands. If I use my hands to, um, you know, put seasoning on or something like that, wash my hands afterwards, um, and then cook it thoroughly, use a food thermometer. Um, don't ever, I don't ever cook meat without my food thermometer. Cause like, there's just no reliable way oh, of no, knowing I can, whether I, I can, killed everything off. I can tell. I can well, tell. You can, can tell it's you really see dry. The yeah. yeah. I mean, I can <laughs> well, see. I mean, so you could also do that, but then it doesn't taste. No, I know. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> yeah. And, and when you start Absolutely. to cook with a food thermometer and things are thoroughly cooked, but they're still juicy, like there's that question it's where you're like, changer, right? you're like, did I do this right? Because this is not super dry and I'm actually <laughs> enjoying this cooked food. It's I, good. That's why every wedding I go to, they get a food thermometer because it keeps oh, them healthy. That's your signature and it gift. Fights. Okay. Yeah, I've had people come back and say we don't fight over whether or not the steak is done. Yeah. That's amazing. No, and then it's not dry. What a gift you're so, giving yeah. to marriages everywhere. Yeah, preventing hey. divorces with food safety. <laughs> a, a byproduct from this conversation. <laughs> I would have no idea wow. about. Uh, visiting with Natalie Seymour about food safety. So we talked we've talked about some of the common ones. Like meat, I think, is probably the most common when we think of right. you know, if you're gonna make a mistake. What about some of those uncommon ones? Scare us a little. <laughs> So actually about 50% of the foodborne illnesses we see in the U.S. are from fresh fruits and vegetables, not from meat. Mm. Um, yeah, which is kind of like some people are like, well, well how can I win? Because you're supposed to eat yeah, fresh fruits is, and vegetables. Yeah, this is healthier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's and, and it's one of those things where um, you can't always tell, obviously, like just because something looks good or just because something looks gross doesn't mean that it's contaminated or not contaminated but with fresh fruits and vegetables rinsing those off well um we're not recommending that you use soap or like bleach or disinfectants right we know pretty well that those things will make you sick if you ingest them um but but rinsing them off well but there are vegetable rinses though right i've started to see those pop up a little bit more where it's i don't want i don't uh, actually know what's in them (laughs) but i'm like oh okay it's a thing it's like body wash for my vegetables yeah so if you want your vegetables to smell a certain way um (laughs) but (laughs) so like the research tells us that you get a certain amount of reduction just rinsing your vegetables your fruit with like cool running water, mm-hmm. right? Or you can soak it if it's like a particular vegetable or, or fruit that's going to be a little sandy or, you know, maybe has some dirt in it. Um, and then like really gently, you know, like rubbing the apple while you're rinsing it kind of thing can lose some, loosen something else. You do get a little bit additional reduction with a vegetable ra- wash, but it's not something that's so significant that we're going out and saying everyone needs to do this. Um, okay. So if it makes you feel good, go for it. Now, sponges are a big part of the kitchen. I know that they're also germ magnets. So what, what, what's your take on the sponge? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you think about it, it's what we're using to remove dirt and bacteria from surfaces, right? Yeah. yeah. So then you're just like keeping in it's hanging out for a while. I don't use sponges personally um, because they gross me out. I right <laughs> yeah and there's a couple things that like food safety people we just don't do because we know too much and and technically um, okay. and technically aren't sponges a living thing or they were a living well thing? there are sponges that are living but okay. there's also artificial ones yeah yeah well my one. mine even though artificial is actually living because it's been okay. on my sink for yeah at least a couple you, months but you can they're not that expensive you can change it out <laughs> this is um, a, that's a good but, tip <laughs> what I do, like, and, and I know some other people who do it, like some people use sponges, they run them through the dishwasher every night. Great. Absolutely do that. Um, some people will microwave them, but you have to be really careful about that because I caught one on fire once in college <gasps> oh. trying to microwave it. So don't burn your house down. Um, <laughs> I should have gone, gone, gone to her parties. Literally. Guys, guys, we're putting, um, we're putting a sponge in the microwave. Gather around. Yeah, yeah. Um, I use a plastic scrub brush, and then I run it through the dishwasher. Yeah. 
So I have, I got several that were really cheap and I kind of have them on a rotation. I'll use them once or twice and then they go in the utensil rack in the dishwasher and they get cleaned with all the dishes. Um, And then like if I've used it to scrub raw meat or something like, like raw meat off of a a cutting board or whatever, Mm -hmm. then it goes directly into the dishwasher and they don't stink. That's no, the other thing. I have a yeah. really sensitive nose. So any sponge would stink really quickly and I just didn't want it around. Are there any foods or ingredients that people don't commonly refrigerate that they should be? Hmm. That's a really good question. Um, so cut melon is something that someone like some people will just put that out on the table and you'll munch on it all afternoon. That really shouldn't be out for more than like four hours. Okay. Um, that should be refrigerated. Yeah. I mean, it tastes better too. And mm-hmm. it's going to last longer, yeah. but um, definitely like cut melon, cut leafy greens, cut tomatoes. Those need to be refrigerated. All those things can be left out at room temperature before, um, but those really should be thrown in the fridge once you're, once you're um, cutting those. What are some good tips for keeping our food COVID-19 free? <laughs> <laughs> Don't sneeze on it. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, sneeze gar- sneeze you heard it here first, folks. Sneeze guards in your personal <laughs> kitchen. Yeah. No. Um, so what we know and like, there's a lot that's known about COVID-19, but there's also a lot that we don't know, right? Um, there haven't been illnesses associated with consuming contaminated food. And like if there have been, like we haven't made that connection and, and had it show up as a significant transmission route, right? Mm-hmm. Like if food was becoming a really big problem and if there are people who are eating at one like eating one food and then all getting sick, like the epidemiology would look a little different, mm-hmm. um, most likely. So the risk is really being in environments around other people and people congregate around food, right? Like we Absolutely. all end up at the grocery store, we go to restaurants, like that kind of a thing. And so as far as people at home trying to make sure they don't get COVID-19 with like associated with food activities, like go to the grocery store, wear your face covering, use hand sanitizer, don't touch stuff if you don't need it. Mm-hmm. Come home, wash your hands, unpack your groceries, wash your hands again. And really, that doesn't just reduce your risk of COVID-19. It reduces your risk of all the other things that we hadn't worried about, right? right. <laughs> so you're, like, there's a lot that like I'm being really optimistic. Now that the country has a better understanding of washing their hands, I'm really hoping we reduce illness from a lot of different oh, things because be washing great? your I, I'm, I'm hoping so you've got to like be hopeful for something right right um but now that we're more aware of like not touching every single thing we see um and then washing our hands um hopefully that will help but um you know wash your hands when you get back from the grocery store um, if you're not comfortable being around other people like everyone um is in different areas with different rules. Um, so I'm not just going to say that what's in North Carolina is, you know, what's everywhere else, but, you know, give people their space. If you're, you know, eating at a restaurant, you know, don't crowd around people mm-hmm. and just wash your hands, wear your face covering, do what you can to make sure that you don't get anybody else sick. And then hopefully other people will do the same thing for you. But as far as food goes, you still got to eat. Yep. Well, and we have time for one more question. And and like yeah. you mentioned, some areas are still recommending that we just shop as infrequently as possible, only go out when absolutely mm-hmm. necessary. So what is uh, what are your uh, lasting tips for how long uh, food can really last in, in the fridge and what we can do to sort of extend its shelf life? Yeah, that's a great question. That's kind of a loaded one. Um, so really quickly, basing your grocery list off what's going to last longer. So certain fruits and vegetables are going to last longer on the counter than others. Um, So things like apples or oranges that they just don't ripen and and then go south faster. Um, You have certain items like fruits and vegetables that you can throw in the refrigerator and you can get a longer shelf life on those. Um, So those are are usually some good resources online Um, for those kinds of things like berries you should put in the fridge. You can put stone fruits in the fridge, vegetables, stuff like that. Um, Meat. What I've done um, is if I can find the meat that I want, sometimes I'll buy a larger package and throw half of it in the freezer. Mm. Um, So if you tightly up it, you can freeze it. You can freeze them individually, um, like individual pieces and makes that easier. Um, So that kind of extends the life of your groceries. Um, a lot of people think that meat should only be in the fridge for like one or two days before you eat it. Really, as long as you're going to cook it all the way, it doesn't matter how long you keep it in your fridge before you cook it. Interesting. Um, it might start getting a little funky fresh, but I mean, just 
cook it all the way, cook it to the prior, uh, proper endpoint temperature and you're fine. Um, once food is cooked or if you're getting things like deli salads or lunch meat or something like that, really, you should eat that within seven days of opening it um, as long as your fridge is at 41 degrees or below. Um, so keeping your refrigerator at the at 41 degrees or below, mine's usually at 38 that will keep your food longer because the warmer your refrigerator is, the faster yeah. um, the bacteria that makes it spoil mm-hmm. um, will grow and the stuff that makes you sick. Um, so keeping your fridge at the right temp, you know, freezing part of your food if you need to, putting some of your food in the refrigerator that you would usually leave on the counter, that would be helpful. Um, yeah, so several of those things are, are buy, if you can afford it, buy larger containers and it'll last you longer. If you can't, then that's okay too. In our house, we just eat uh, pasta and potatoes. That way we don't have to go to the grocery store very (laughs) much. That's not true. Natalie Seymour is a food safety extension associate and the associate director of outreach and teaching for the Safe Plates program at NC State University. You can get more food safety tips by visiting her Facebook page at Safe Plates FSIC. Thank you for listening to The Lisa Show. We'll be right back. This is The Lisa Show. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? For many of us, those words bring to mind the image of Fred Rogers in a sweater and sneakers broadcasting messages of kindness, acceptance, and empathy as part of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And those messages are just as important today. But Mr. Rogers was also involved in a larger conversation about race. He challenged the ideas of segregation, of injustice, and inequality, like, for example, in the famous pool scene where he washed his feet with Officer Clemens, played by Francois Clemens, the first African-American actor to have a recurring role on a children's television program. Well, Francois' book, Officer Clemens, a memoir, was recently released, and he joins us today to discuss his book, Mr. Rogers and His Role as Officer Clemens. Welcome, Francois. I have always wanted to have a neighbor just Just like like you. you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with, with you, you so. <laughs> Let's make this most of a beautiful day. And since we're together, together we, we might as well say. Could you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my, my neighbor. neighbor? Hi, neighbor. I, 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 neighbor, how are you? <laughs> I love that you're saying that. I, uh, you have a nice tenor voice. Well, thank you very you much for recognizing nice- that. Yeah, up for rings. Are you singing a choir out there? Oh, I don't sing in the big choir out here, but I do sing in a choir on occasion. Uh, uh-huh. I want to talk about Mr. Rogers. Tell me about the first time that you met Fred. Well, uh, I actually met him casually a couple of times. For example, I was at Parasolos at Third Presbyterian Church. It's a pretty big, beautiful Presbyterian Church on Fifth Avenue up there near Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. I was on my... Uh, working on an MBA, a Master's of uh, F.A., Fine Arts. And um, I, was, uh, I got the job, and I was doing some singing, and I particularly did one on Good Friday. That's the time that Fred stayed till the end and was the last person to come up uh, to greet me and say how much he enjoyed it and how much it meant to him because of its incredible significance. I don't know anybody else who does a program like that. Mm-hmm. And so we, he's a friend's a music major from Rollins College. So we really talk music. Uh, he's um, cutting edge in terms of being a composer. And uh, librettist, you know, he writes his own work. And also when he was here, he did um, uh, a lot of the script music. Uh, what else did I want to say? Songs, he wrote songs, lots of songs. Uh-huh. And so he, he composed them for special occasions. So I... Um, I met him, and quite frankly, I thought he was a wonderful fan. I said, Fred, oh, that's your name. You're Joanne Rogers' husband. I knew his wife because she sang in the choir. Uh-huh. And we sat very close to each other. And we started talking, and afterwards we'd go out to a spaghetti place or uh, some kind of a, a restaurant at night after choir rehearsal. And it was a wonderful group of people. They were like uh, family among themselves, you know. They partied and picnicked and things together and went to church as well as uh, sang there in the choir. So I, I fell in with some really wonderful people. And uh, they said, may I take you to lunch? And I thought, well, 
yeah, uh, you know, I don't know you that well, but yes, you can take me to lunch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'll, I'll take a free for. lunch, you bet, yeah. Yeah, you got it. I'm in graduate school, and graduate school is very expensive, even though I had essentially what you would call a free ride. There were lots of expenses that came about, what have you. So going out to dinner uh, was not something I did very often. In fact, I ate at home to save money. Then we went to this wonderful <laughs> restaurant, and um, in fact, his wife and the organist uh, came along, and they uh, had we had a drink around. Uh, Fred does not drink, so he had lemon water and a tonic water or something. And um, I, I was very skeptical about drinking in the middle of the day, but this was a, kind of exciting because there was my organist who had hired me, and his wife, who was one of my burgundy new friends. And um, so they said, oh, we have to go. We, I made other plans for this afternoon. And frankly, it was a setup. And I didn't realize it <laughs> so that I could get comfortable, you know, and relax with Fred and vice versa. Nothing crazy was going to happen. Well, as you can tell already, he sat there. I sat looking at him deep into his beautiful blue eyes. Mm-hmm. And I started talking. And I never shut up. And he never stopped listening. <laughs> I thought, well, this is a relationship that's made in heaven. Yeah. Because uh, he was a nice man who loves to hear me talk. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this, Fran- Francois. Is yeah. this is this the time when he proposed that you that you be on the show? Because I'll, I'll be honest with you. I had no idea that you, in fact, were the first African-American actor to have a recurring role on a children's television program. I guess I had never thought about who that person would be, but that surprises me um, that that it was within the confines of, of you know, mm-hmm. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and that that was the very first. Yeah. There have been guest appearances like Sammy Davis Jr., uh, what was it, Carol, uh, Diana Carroll had her own show, Julia. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there was some... Uh, uh, Sands, what was her name? Uh, something Sands, S-A-N-D-S. Uh, she was Di- Diane Sands, was her name. She was a dynamic actress. Dorothy Daniels, they all made guest appearances on. They were starting, Lena Horne, my goodness, she was such a star. Mm-hmm. So, but they did not appear on a children's television program with any uh, regularity. And then when Fred hired me, like after I did two, two performances, two shows. And at the end of that, he said, would you like to come back and sing some more? We really like you. I mean, it was an incredible attraction, friendship. Mm-hmm. That I felt right away this was very open, very warm, very gentle, very kind. In fact, I tell the story that soon after I met him, he, uh, I, I, I got sick with the flu. And I never forget my doorbell to my apartment rang. And I was thinking, who the heck is ringing my doorbell? You know, I'm <laughs> sick. I don't feel like answering that damn thing. But, <laughs> I, I got up and I threw on a bathrobe and I staggered to the door. And I was, you know, you can look through a little peephole there. But well, well, that's Fred. And I said, <laughs> Yeah, hi, Fred. What are you doing here? And he said, I heard you were sick. And he really marched right on past me and uh, took off his coat and he was carrying a, a bag of chicken soup. In fact, soup and chain. Mm. And he said, I want you to, uh, to eat this right now. And I'm, I'm going to sit with you and. Uh, relax until you feel feel okay and everything. I was so weak. Well, I sat down. I thought, what is this man doing? He's taking care of me. Mm-hmm. There's a wonderful song. I'm taking care of you, taking good care of you. For well, once I was very little too. Now I take care of you. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And so he. Um, and practically fed me the food. He, he uh, uh, insisted that I eat it right away. Mm-hmm. I'm a strange eater. I can sit there and have uh, a third of it or half of it, and I'm satisfied. I'll come back. Leave me alone. <laughs> Don't touch my plate. Yeah, I'm coming back. Yeah, no, uh, leave it. Leave I, it right there. I'll get to it. Yeah, I, and I do. Uh, but one of the reasons I do that is a lot of times I get called to come up and sing. Always oh, to come up and sing. So I never really, really eat when I'm at those banquets and stuff. I, I'm already settled. I'm ready. So I'm sitting there picking and carrying on. And if there's something delicious, I want to come back and <laughs> get the rest duck or some kind of special chicken. Uh, so anyway, we sat there oh, easily two hours. He was asking me a lot of really 
good, good questions about my life, uh, my growing up, my parents, my grandparents, and my great-grandparents. I thought, you know, he's really interested in what I have to say. Mm -hmm. So he said, why don't you come over to the station with me and let me show you around. And that was my first ever, I think, time being in a uh, television studio. First time I was, like, before the cameras. I saw the uh, set, you know, uh, the Owl's Tree and the castle. It was fascinating, all this stuff going on in here. What, what was the purpose? And he was telling me, I had talked so much, but I hadn't asked him a thing. Mm-hmm. So he had not, he had said a word. He said, well, this is a children's project that I've been doing, I've been working on, and I put it together, and uh, I'd like to have you come and sing something here. Hmm. Well, I thought, yeah, okay. And then he got a suitcase, and he pulled out King Friday, and he started messing with those puppets. Well, then he put, took Queen Sarah out, and he was using her high voice, hello there, Officer Clemens, how are you today? <laughs> I thought, well, what in the world is the matter with this man? Just put that thing down and talk to me. Well, what I learned is that that was his aspect of his personality. Huh. Uh, uh-huh. And he, he had many different, uh, basically calm and very much collected and pulled together. But I think sometimes he used the puppet to express when he had difficulty saying uh, in words uh, to adults and he was shy. He definitely was uh, an introvert and shy. You know, so, I I want to make sure that in the time that we have with you, and I don't have too much time uh, left with you, we're visiting with Francois Clemens, Officer Clemens from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. A lot of people, um, just because of what's going on in the national and international climate, have probably seen or shared um, that pool scene uh, with you and yeah. and Mr. Rogers. We have yeah. only really a couple minutes. Can you tell us uh, if people haven't seen uh, what that is, what exactly that is, and then and then the value of it uh, uh, on the national and international well, uh, conversation? They were putting chemicals in the water uh, pools in the middle of like Philadelphia or Nashville or Memphis. They all had these city pools. Um, people who pay um, uh, income taxes supported that kind of stuff. And um, then you want black people in those schools, and most of them are right dead in the center of town. Hmm. And so uh, black people said, we're going anyway. And we went, and we got in the water and stuff. They started putting chemicals and uh, powder of of poison that hurts your skin. I Hmm. thought, to do that to people, do that to children. You know, the children are the ones who basically were in the water playing and splashing. And these little kids, what what the heck do they know? I really felt deep deep anger. So I, when I, I saw Fred, I, I, I let him have it, you know. What can you do about this, Fred? This is not a nice thing that these people are doing. Thank God I know people like you. Mm-hmm. Well, he said, uh, let me think about it, Fran. Uh, I think you, uh, I'm upset by it, too, because it's hurting children. And Fred, above all, loved children. Yeah. So he came back to me a couple of uh, weeks later and said, I, I have an idea. I want you to come to Pittsburgh. I lived in Manhattan at that time. Mm-hmm. I want you to come to Pittsburgh, and I want you to do this special scene that we'll be addressing some of the race problems. So he sent me the script, and I looked at it, and I thought, well, what the heck is this? There's nothing going on. Mm. We go, we sit, we sit at this pool. Huh? <laughs> we sit at this pool together, and I sing a song. Come on, friend, let's get an axe and a couple of 45s out here and then use it or something. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, no, friends, I think they'll get the message. So I bowed to his wisdom and his, uh, uh, you know, better attitudes of how to reach his audience. Mm-hmm. Well, we did that scene, and it became something very special. In the middle of it, I, um, I grew up. I, I changed because mm-hmm. I said, oh, he's really showing a black man and a white man with their feet in the same water. It's borderline intimate in the sense that, you know, you could sit there with anybody you wanted to, but right. we were friends. Mm-hmm. And so our friendship made something special. It's a different chemistry of the warmth, the kindness, the uh, gener- generosity of spirit. He was so, uh, frankly, loving to me. I, I felt this incredible uh, 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 cascade of, of wonderful positive feelings for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I felt the same way about him, but I just didn't have the same way of expressing it. So he, 
said a few things to me, and I sang a song. I'm, uh, who, who can crawl under a table? Who can bop? Who can? You see, I always remember the song, the, the tune, but I don't remember the words. They used to put them up for me all the time. Uh-huh. So, um, uh, to make a long story short, uh, we sat there together, and when I got ready, I said I have an appointment. He helped me dry my feet, particularly in the second version we did in 1991 or two. Mm-hmm. We did the second one. And it was uh, it was pronounced, it was rather prominent that, that he was doing that. There was no accident. Right. And so, biblically, people compared us to Jesus and Peter hmm. in the upper room during the uh, Last Supper. And having done that Good Friday service, with him uh, at the uh, Third Presbyterian Church, and he heard all that. He knew that I knew the religious significance, and yeah. I was a, a little bit of taken aback because I felt very unworthy. I felt uh, I, I'm a deep believer in spirit, but I don't think you have to be a Christian necessarily to yeah. you know to, uh, to get through this life. But uh, he is a Presbyterian minister, so I know he was making reference to the fact that a black man and a white man could be good friends and sit with our feet in the water, and it was a sublime and incredibly uplifting thing that he did it, he added, he had the charisma to, to add that element to what we were doing and make it something special. And yep. especially when he, he started drying my feet, I was in on it, was with his towel. And those, you don't mix. Adults rarely do, um share a towel with someone, a uh-huh. husband and wife would do that. But I wouldn't share a towel with you, to, you know, generally. Uh, I, it was a very special effort, I think, yeah. to give me his towel and for him to dry my feet. So what I was reminded of, and I'll try to be brief and just tell me, is, you know, in the Bible there are many instances of the uh, builder, and it, it characterizes either a great prophet, a great city, David, or, or God himself, herself. Um, take the, the the brick that was the brick builder could not use because it was uh, broken or was flawed, so they cast it aside. And the God, the universe, goes and takes that brick and says, "I'm going to build my church here, hmm. and I'm starting with this brick, and I'm going to build a such a church that the very gates of hell shall not prevail against it." Yeah, I'm. I identified more with being that brick because I was black. I came from an extremely a problematic background with parents fighting and poverty. Uh, money was always an issue. Uh, and then the fact that I, I was gay and black. Black, gay, poor, and, you know, no money. I had no um, sense of the, the middle-class things that you would expect in this life. Yeah, and Fred had abundance. He was a millionaire, so he had everything that I was talking about in abundance. And he was so humble. He was so generous. He gave me so much. Uh, in the book, I try to share that with people. He he was not into material possessions, yeah. but he did understand if I, that I didn't have it, mm-hmm. and he took on the role of my father, and he became my surrogate father. And he told me, "I'll be there for you." Uh, Francois, you don't have to worry about those things anymore. And it was hard to let those old habits go. But he was gentle and he was firm. And uh, there's so many things that I wish I could talk about now. But yep. he just opened his heart to me. And I, I allowed him to be daddy. I have to tell you, I was so blessed uh, that he came into my life. We've been visiting with uh, Francois Clemens. He is the author of Officer Clemens, a memoir, uh, if you remember Officer Clemens from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. You can purchase that book by finding it at bookshop.org or books.catapult.co. Thanks for being with us, Francois. You're listening to The Lisa Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Lisa Show. We all want to be accepted by our peers, but sometimes our desire to be liked can be taken to the extreme and turn into excessive 
people-pleasing. We've all known those people-pleasers. We might even be a people-pleaser ourselves. But if we're going to if we're constantly going the extra mile to make other people happy, we might just lose who we are in the process. In order to get rid of the problem, we have to identify the roots. So where do these people-pleasing tendencies come from, and what can we even do about them? Here to answer these questions is psychotherapist and author of three books on parenting, narcissism, and relationships is Dr. Aaron Leonard. Good morning, Dr. Leonard. Good morning. All right, so you do define for me people-pleasing, because some people may just think they're being nice. Right. Yeah. And, and that's a good thing. When, when people are selfless and conscientious and really consider other people's feelings and needs, that makes someone a very good person. Mm-hmm. But there are some people who take it too far and they end up neglecting and ignoring what they want and need. And so over time, this can really cause a um, sort of a detriment with their mental health because they're always sort of um, neglecting what they need and what they're feeling. And and the second part of it is they don't trust how they feel. Hmm. You know, they're always sort of relying on someone else and thinking that, well, they know better, they know more. And so they're, they're ignoring um, what they feel, which is really a difficult thing because our feelings are, are really the essence of who we are and trusting and understanding them helps us regulate them and manage them in a more healthy way. Are there questions that we can sort of ask ourselves, like a, a self-assessing test to, oh, am I just being kind or or have I lost myself in the process? Yes, absolutely. If, if you feel like you're not able to resurrect healthy boundaries with the people in your life and you find yourself sacrificing things that you need to do for yourself or things you need to do for your children or your immediate family because it's always about others, um, and you want to be perceived positively, then you really have to examine that and figure out how people pleasers have trouble resurrecting boundaries, right? Because they want to be liked, they want to be accepted, they want to be positively regarded. So they find they sort of avoid conflict. And so if someone is constantly spending more time trying to um, garner, you know, a favorable uh, public opinion out there, and they're and they're sort of sacrificing time with their children or their partner. It that might be a red flag. Mm-hmm. We can't have too many conversations about boundaries. Can we talk a little bit about how we can set those and and for some people maybe what those even are? Absolutely. So. People pleasers, like I said, people pleasers sort of shy away from resurrecting a boundary because they don't want to deal with a confrontation. They don't want to. Um, they don't want to make someone. They don't want to disappoint someone. You know, they don't want to cause someone else discomfort. And so they. They. Um, so, but what, what? An important thing to realize about boundaries is you can set a boundary extremely lovingly, mm. right? So if you say something positive to start the conversation oh my gosh, I love playing on your tennis team so much. It's so much fun. And then talk about how you feel. I'm very stressed right now. Um, Ricky's not feeling well. There's some other stuff going on. And then the issue, I'm not going to be able to play for you on Thursday. Right? So so starting with the positive, talking about how you feel, and then the issue really helps the conversation go more smoothly because the because the people pleaser is feeling like, okay, they're saying something positive. They're talking about how they feel, which is far less confrontational than, than something else. And then they're talking about the issue last. And so um, really having a soft tone, being respectful, being diplomatic, starting with something positive, that really helps you, a people pleaser, set a boundary. Where, do, where does people pleasing or the tendency to be a people pleaser come from? Um, I think that people-pleasing often comes from an attachment relationship with a caregiver. So when someone doesn't trust how they really feel, it may be because they grew up with a parent who, you know, continually shamed them for how they felt or taunted them or um, dismissed. So, you know, parents parents feel like, oh, well, there are some parents who, who have a hard time if their child disagrees with how they feel. The parent thinks that that child should feel the way they do at all times, and if that child feels differently, then there's a problem, and they're going to they're going to set that child straight. And what, what parents don't realize is you can honor a child's feelings while still upholding rules, expectations, um, you know, and so, so just simply saying to a child, you're angry, I can tell but you can't hit your sister, please go apologize. Even that simple statement of honoring the 
honoring the feeling, but correcting the behavior. So really, kids really need to trust how they feel because if they can recognize, identify, and verbalize how they feel, they can manage it in a very healthy way. Kids who feel very ashamed of how they feel have to act it out because it's been repressed and suppressed because they feel ashamed. And so it's really important for parents to realize you know, your child is entitled to how they feel. Mm. And if it, differ, if it differs from the parent, that's okay. But honoring that feeling, but then correcting a negative behavior, um, that, that's the really important thing. For those that weren't raised that way, you know, if we were in a household where our parents, for example, did not uh, allow those feelings to be felt or, you know, sort of asked us to feel the same way uh, as they did, how, how can parents that are listening to this be able to institute something like this if they have no experience in, in even what this would look like or sound like? Right. So the first thing is you always want to listen for a child's feelings. So people get caught up in the details of what's going on. And um, so it's really important for the parent to listen for a feeling as their child is talking. And then they need to reflect and honor that feeling. You're upset. I get it. I would be too. But honey, this is, you know, you have to focus on your homework. We need to get this done. So listening for a feeling instead of the manifest content is important. Reflecting and validating the feeling and then moving on to what the child needs to do. So the child feels understood and they feel connected to the parent who gets it. And then they feel a lot more compliant about what they need to be doing. And they learn to trust how they feel, which is really important because they can honor how they feel. And that's important in terms of adult life because when you can trust and honor how you feel, you're able to communicate it in a relationship. You're able to manage it better and regulate it. You have a far higher emotional intelligence quotient. So it's very, it's really important. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Dr. Aaron Leonard about people-pleasing, sort of where it comes from, uh, how we can be able to empower our kids to not only share their feelings but also feel their feelings. As we as we talk about uh, the dangers of people-pleasing, we sort of have queued up a couple of them but haven't gone in real great depth. In real great depth what are some of those other dangers of being a people-pleaser? Um, a lot of... It, it could be it can be a time so if people constantly people please and neglect how they feel and what they need to do for themselves and their families a lot of the time resentment can build up and if a lot of resentment builds up over time they can end up being very um angry and irritated and discouraged and depressed so when someone neglects how they feel and puts someone else's feelings first um they really sort of are doing themselves a disservice because um Hold on one second. (laughs) So sorry. Hold on one second. You're fine. (laughs) So sorry about that. Um, Okay. So that can, and if that resentment builds up over time, it can cause a lot of anger. And that anger for a good natured person can feel very negative. And that can cause some depression and some anxiety in the long run. It, it, it's a thing that for so many people, I think that, that they resonate with a portion of this, but are maybe too afraid to look within themselves to see how just how much of a ple- people pleaser they are. Uh, as you've spoken on some of these things, I'm like, yeah, I may, that, that does ring a little true. I wonder, uh, is, is it recommended for those that, uh, that maybe don't want to face this, that they work this through with a, with a therapist, or is this something that can be accomplished on their own? I think both. So there's there's some big techniques a person can do and some smaller techniques a person can do. Getting into therapy is a great idea because your feelings are safe. You know, a therapist's office is the safest place to express whatever you're feeling, whatever emotion you have. And hopefully that therapist is very empathic and can, you know, honor and reflect those feelings. And when you have that experience with a therapist of feeling validated in terms of how you feel um, and honored and empathized with, that's like a little practice. That's like the little practice field, right? And if you continually have that experience with your therapist, you get practice and you can go out and then feel comfortable expressing how you feel in the real world. And then the other things that people can do are sort of, you know, there are small techniques that someone can do every day that brings out the essence of who they are. Uh, You know, spiritual things can really help you tap into the essence of who you are. Um, A lot of physical activity can help you sort of 
that's very cathartic and can t- and can help you. Um, so little little self care techniques that someone can do every day will will really help them sort of ground themselves, center themselves, and really help them self reflect and honor how they feel. Because feelings feelings are really wrong. It's how we handle them. That that's the that's the hard part. A scenario that I see is that someone may find themselves in a relationship where they have been a people pleaser for whatever reason, exhaustion or some other reason, they've decided, you know what, I, I need to make some changes. And then coming out of the uh, people pleasing sort of mode or manner m- might cause some strain on the relationship. How can people best na- navigate that scenario? Absolutely, you're right. So when someone sort of um, transitions from being ultra appeasing and placating and, you know, to sort of standing up for themselves, that can cause some discomfort in their partner. So having very open dialogues about this process is very important. And maybe talking to a couple therapists or, um, you know, so, someone in your congregation. So, so uh Basically, being very open about, I, I feel like I need to, you know, to stand up for how, how I feel, and I feel like you understanding that and respecting that is important. So these are the things I'm going to try and do in our relationship. I'm going to try and tell you how I feel if I'm feeling negatively. I am going to try and honor how you feel in return. I am going to try to resurrect healthy boundaries so I'm clearer about what I need. Um, and so all of those things, having very open discussions about this, and it, it doesn't have to be, you know, an hour-long chat over, you know, with a cup of coffee. It can be a very simple, concise dialogue about, hey, I'm feeling this, and I need this from you. Mm-hmm. And if you can't give that to me, that's okay, but I want you to know that, you know, maybe we can have this discussion in an, in an hour or two when you're calm or when you're more calm. Mm-hmm. Or maybe we can talk about this tomorrow when we're both feeling a little bit more settled about it. So just being very open with your feelings can really go a long way. Oftentimes the guests that we have here on The Lisa Show who speak about particular topics are those that have also had particular experiences with the topic of which they study or which they speak about. Is this something that you have, have dealt with? Oh yes. <laughs> so so well, I got <laughs> so I so I got that on on the head. What have you benefited from? How have you seen the the trajectory of your happiness or or even of your life change as you have sort of taken this uh, personal responsibility away from people pleasing? Personally, um, it occurred for me when I had children, hmm. um, and I have dogs, and so. For me, um, I, it was very apparent to me when I had children that I was doing a lot of things out there in the world for other people to make them happy and to be accepted and well-regarded at the expense of sometimes my children. And that, for me, was extremely disturbing and unsettling. And so, um, uh, and I have twins. I can tell you a story about it. If, yes, if, please. Okay, so I have twins, infant twins, and they were preemies. And so I was, you know, very, very, very invested in their care, which required a lot of time and energy. And I went to a new physician, and um, this physician said to me, oh, you're having a hard time focusing on Kenny when, when I talk about Mary, so let's talk about, let's have Kenny out of the room. And she took my baby. I didn't know where she was sending him or you know, and he, you know, she puts him in a nurse's arm and they walk down the hall and, and I was sick to my stomach and I didn't say anything and I didn't step up and I didn't ask and I didn't inquire. Um, and, you know, the time, of course, when we were talking about the other twin, Mary, I, all I could think about was, where's my baby? Mm-hmm. Where's my baby? Yeah. And, uh, and, and so finally, after we were done with Mary, I sort of raced out of the room with Mary and I found Kenny being passed around in the nurse's station two hallways down. <laughs> And that, for me, was a, a big wake-up call. I had a hard time standing up for myself. My gut was going off the whole time. Red flag, red flag, red yeah. flag, red flag. Yeah. But yet I, didn't, I couldn't trust how I felt enough to ask this doctor, this, is, this doesn't seem professional or appropriate. My, that's my baby. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. So in that moment, I promised myself, I made a commitment to myself that, that really um, 
honoring my feelings, especially my intuition when it comes to my children is very important. And I need to figure that out and regulate that. And the same with the same with my animals. I have two rescue dogs and they require a lot of care. And, you know, if, if something um, comes into my life, if, if I'm doing anything in my life and it impacts my ability to do what I need to do for my kids, my dogs and myself to keep myself happy, that's when I really feel strongly about resurrecting very lovingly and very kindly and very, very respectfully resurrecting a very healthy, healthy boundary and really just identifying my needs. And I've gotten much better with it in my old age and um, I'm very comfortable with it now. And, you know, it takes lots of practice and lots of self-awareness. It, it it is a thing that for so many people they hear it and they and I feel like they 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 recognize the need within themselves but they just don't want to be that mean person or you know when they when they think about standing up for themselves how will I it, it it's very people pleasing oriented right like how will they receive this if I finally stand up for myself and 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 if I'm just reflecting back the things that you've said this morning, we just we just have to to be true to ourselves. We just have to to uh, get better and to be better about sharing uh, what is sort of inside of us and and what's in our gut that we need. Yes, and one very important thing for people pleasers to know is that if someone does not receive a boundary well and retaliates or um, is vindictive. That person has the problem, not the people pleaser. Mm. So there are people, there are people that the people pleaser are going to run across that are going to be very gracious when they set a boundary and very respectful. And then there are other people that are going to retaliate and punish that person passive aggressively for setting a boundary. Yeah. And those, those people who react negatively and who are sort of passive aggressive, those people have the problem, not the people pleaser. And that's data that the people pleaser can, lo- can use moving forward. Okay, I'm going to get a little space from this person. They don't seem very emotionally healthy. Mm-hmm. And then really surrounding themselves with the people who respect their boundaries. That's the key. Dr. Aaron Leonard, a psychotherapist and author of three books on parenting, narcissism, and relationships. Uh, I think what your dog was saying during the interview, uh, Aaron, is that it needs its walk. So I'm going to let you go. (laughs) Thank you so much for being a part of the conversation this morning. For more information on Dr. Leonard's work, you can visit DrAaronLeonard.com or RecoreCounseling.com. You can find The Lisa Show on the free BYU radio app. Have you downloaded it yet? Make sure that you grab it, get it, use it, consume us. Uh, Wherever you are, you can take us with you. It's like having us on vacation with you, if that's where you listen. And you can also email us, contact us. We'd love to hear from you. The Lisa Show at BYU.edu. Make great use of that subject line and send that email today. Thank you for making The Lisa Show a part of your day.